our God is the one fighting for us. And most importantly, prayer is a real powerful weapon. And the prayers that were prayed in this room each morning, they have a powerful impact uh, in our work around the world. Welcome back to another episode of On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, where we take you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham, and I'm excited because today is all about answered prayers from across the ministry this past year. In 2023, we want to recognize what God has done and how He's moved. As we celebrate Thanksgiving, we often take time to recognize how grateful we are for the things in our life. We sit down and we acknowledge the gifts and blessings in our life. But we also wanted to allow you to see the ways that God answers prayer. And I hope that this helps you recognize the power and presence that God has in your life. Today's episode will hopefully help you see the power of prayer and the need that we have to be dependent on God. First, I want to start with a story of answered prayers that was recently shared during our staff devotions. Every morning, our staff gathers to spend time in prayer in God's Word. Bethany Densham reminded us how powerful this time truly is. My name is Bethany Densham. I'm one of the program managers with the cleft and cataract surgical teams in the projects department. And I had the privilege of leading a cleft lip and palate team to Bunya DRC this past August. And um, this morning, I just want to share with you my testimony of God's incredible faithfulness and answered prayers that I actually think many of you prayed here in that room for that mission. Before I start, uh, I just want to share a few verses from 2 Chronicles 20, um, when Jehoshaphat was facing a huge army that had come up against God's people. And it starts in verse 6, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens, and are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. And then if you drop down to verse 15, it says, The Spirit of the Lord had come upon Jehaziel, and he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. In verse 17, it says, You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Uh, I want to share just a bit of background leading up to our DRC Clef mission. Um, that'll help kind of complete the picture for you. Our program has the unique opportunity to partner with our field offices in various countries around the world. And so back in November 2022, we had made an assessment visit to Bunya in uh, DRC. And based on that visit and the interest of the field office there, we determined it would be an ideal location for us to bring a team. However, we realized there were going to be a lot of challenges in order for that to happen. We chose at the time to partner with the government hospital in Bunya, and um, the hopes in doing that was that would help bridge um, a relationship with the Ministry of Health and the local government in Bunya. The date for the week of surgeries was set for the beginning of August, so we had about seven months to get everything worked out. Uh, importing supplies into DRC is a very challenging thing, so we decided to procure as many things as we could in the country, and then um, we were going to have our international team traveling in carry the remaining items as checked luggage. 
the DRC office also hired a full-time CLEF project coordinator. His name was Jackson Moyes, and he was helping us with our mission planning, all of our procurement, and mobilizing our patients. Um, and we set a target of 50 surgeries for our first mission since usually in a new location it's challenging to find cleft patients due to the extreme stigma they face. Um, patient mobilization began in April, and by July, Jackson already had over 100 referrals. So another big challenge in DRC is obtaining visas, uh, and we had uh, a fair, fairly big team that we needed to obtain visas for. Um, and so we began that process in June, and by the end of July, with less than two weeks until the surgeries were supposed to begin, we still did not have all our team's visas, and we also had not received permission to bring our equipment into DRC. Uh, the government hospital was not sufficiently equipped for us to perform surgery without us bringing at least some equipment and supplies in with us. And the DRC office had pursued multiple avenues, including delivering a letter to the governor, the military governor of the region, uh, requesting his assistance in waiving the customs fees and permitting us to bring our equipment in. So on Tuesday, August 8th, five of our Samaritan's Purse Cleft team arrived in Bunia to assist the office with the final preparations for the remainder of the team um, that was due to arrive that Saturday. The bags of medical supplies we brought with us were held at the airport uh, since we didn't have the clearance to bring them in. And Wednesday morning, we met with um, some of the key people in the DRC office and found out that despite beginning our procurement process very early on, we were still missing some vital things, one of which was all of our anesthesia medication. <laughs> So um, the suppliers had actually informed our procurement department that some of those items might not even arrive until Monday, which was well into our week of surgeries. Uh, we were scrambling to come up with some backup solutions. Uh, and in the meantime, our DRC office was continuing to pursue a letter from the governor to release our items from the airport, only to find out that their previous letter they had written had somehow gotten lost and never made it to his desk. Uh, so they were advised to try and submit a new letter. Thursday morning, our team began setting up at the hospital. And uh, as we unpacked the supplies that we had procured in DRC, we realized there were many key items missing, uh, including our backup anesthesia medication, which we were hoping to be able to use. We went around to two local pharmacies in the area and procured as many of the missing items as we possibly could, um, but we were still without any anesthesia medicine. Uh, in the meantime, the DRC team spent many long hours in the governor's office trying to secure the letter uh, so that our equipment and the rest of the supplies could be released from the airport. And the rest of our CLEF team was actually beginning their international flights, uh, despite one of them still not having a visa. <laughs> Those coming out of Charlotte who were carrying our backup anesthesia option uh, were delayed. Uh, they missed some of their flights, and their luggage was lost. <laughs> so by Thursday evening, things were looking actually really bleak, and I wasn't sure we, gonna, we were going to be able to pull off this CLEF mission. Uh, we were partnering at the time with Samaritan's Purse Mast and also uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship to help us transport patients from the rural areas around Bunia. 
And the first group of patients was due to arrive by air Friday afternoon. So Friday morning, we met with the hospital team, the translators, and the pastors uh, who are part of our ministry team to train them on how our program works in preparation for the patients that were coming. During the day, we received word that the letter had been signed by the governor, but unfortunately, the customs officials would not release our supplies until they received permission from the head of customs for all of DRC. (laughs) The medical director also, who had been sick at the time, uh, came by that afternoon and shared with us that the hospital generator wasn't working. Um, He was hopeful they might be able to get it repaired, but it was a little bit uncertain. So I put in a call to Robert Congdon. He's the country director in DRC. And uh, we tried to come up with a backup plan. And at that point, we were feeling really discouraged. (laughs) And those of us at the hospital gathered late in the afternoon with the pastors and chaplains. And I just sort of relayed to them these challenges that we were facing. Um, We gathered together and joined in prayer. And I had also expressed my concern to Edward, who shared it with Edgar, and Edgar shared it in devotions and asked you all to pray. And given that time change, it was actually very close to the time that we were praying in DRC. Not five minutes after praying, Jackson received a call. Our bags were released from the airport. And about that same time, our two anesthesia medications arrived at the hospital, And then, within a few hours, a backup generator was delivered and wired to power the OR. And that evening, our final visa came through for our team member. (laughs) So we were able to begin surgeries. Um, The team arrived uh, Saturday Saturday morning, and we were able to begin surgeries that afternoon. And Sunday morning, I led our team devotions, and I shared with them the verses that I just read to you from 2 Chronicles 20. Um, Looking back, it was so clear that this battle belonged to the Lord, and He was the one that was fighting it for us. And verse 6 says, Power and might are in His hand, and no one can stand against Him. Throughout the week, I would waken between 4 and 4.30 in the morning with an urgency to pray and give each day and its battles into the Lord's hands. Uh, We had more patients than we could possibly do surgery for, and yet each day we somehow completed the surgeries that were a priority. Despite team sickness and complications that we had, we finished the week having operated on 71 patients and screened close to 100. But most importantly, each of those patients and their caregivers had an opportunity to hear the gospel from a member of our ministry team. And our team's always aware of the spiritual battle that goes on around these cleft missions. Most of our patients and their families have a story to tell about being ostracized in their communities. Uh, Many communities believe that these patients are witches or possessed, And we hear terrible stories of these children being left out in the elements to die or even uh, being killed by their parents. Uh, One father in DRC committed suicide, throwing himself down from a high tree after announcing he couldn't bear the shame of having a child with a cleft lip. But we also recognize that God's heart of compassion for these patients and their families 
and he makes it possible for us to show them how great his love is for them. So my theme song uh, that I listen to every morning through the week in DRC was the song sung by Phil Wickham, uh, Battle Belongs. And it just says, when all I see is the battle, you see my victory. And when all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So today, if you just remember 2 Chronicles 20, our God is the one fighting for us. And most importantly, prayer is a real powerful weapon. And the prayers that were prayed in this room each morning, they have a powerful impact uh, in our work around the world. Bethany's story was so powerful. It's amazing to see how the Lord ensured that everything fell into place exactly at the right time. And we know that this is just one of many testimonies that have happened throughout the year. And so I'm excited to share more with you today. David Thompson, the Senior Director for Operation Christmas Child International, he gets to hear countless stories of the impact that shoeboxes have in kids' lives around the world and the ways that God answers prayers. Here's a story that David shared from Sierra Leone, and he reads it in Sebu's own words. Hello, my name is Sembu T. Conneth, and I'm a 12-year-old boy. I stay at Mugaman Beth Community in Makayan, and I'm attending the Baptist Model Junior Secondary School in that, that village. Uh, on the night before the distribution of shoeboxes at the Bethel Baptist Church, I dreamt I was given a pair of shoes. In my dream, I was given a shoebox containing a pair of... Uh, t-shirt and dark glasses and shoes. When I woke up, I began to wonder what this dream could mean to me. I thought of those uh, shoes in the dream, which I wish it was not a dream, but reality, because I need this kind of shoe to use it to go to school. I've suffered a lot from harsh punishment from my principal for lack of school shoes. In the afternoon, I went with my friend to church, and as the church leader had invited us to a meeting, as the hour was approaching for the outreach, I saw shoeboxes in front of us. I was exciting, thinking that it was the shoe I dreamt that was coming to reality. I quickly prayed by saying thanks to God. Our leaders organized us. We sang songs, prayed. They shared the gospel, and it was time for each of us to receive a shoebox according to the list. My turn came, and as soon as I was called, I prayed and went to collect the box. I opened it by faith, and guess what I found inside? The very shoe I dreamt of was neatly laying inside the box, including other items. I closed the box quickly for fear that this shoe had added value in me for my education um, and somebody would take it from me. And I ran to tell my parents the good news. The shoe is my exact size. The shoe has redeemed me from uh, the issues at school. And now I am bold enough to stand and talk in front of my fellow students. I have gained self-esteem in the community. I'm coming from a very poor home, and my parents depend on stone breaking to get our living. Long live OCC. 
This year, after 100,000 Armenians had to flee due to a conflict, Samaritan's Purse responded. Kyle Talley has worked as the regional manager for the Middle East, and he has been the Armenia response manager, and he's seen God answer countless prayers over the past couple months. In the beginning of the response, we had received a a request from the Ministry of Health um, in Armenia asking for emergency medical teams to come out and help them, specifically with uh, a response to uh, a fuel depot that had exploded, Um, and there were hundreds of, of people that were injured or killed in that. And so those who survived were uh, medevaced to the capital in Armenia, Yerevan, and the the healthcare system was overwhelmed. Um, and I think the country has a total of, of three um, burn sur- surgeons who specialize in burn uh, surgeries. Um, and so when they had hundreds um, or, you know, Dozens of, of cases come to to them. They were uh, they were really overwhelmed. So they put out a call to the uh, international community, saying, "Hey, can you uh, send burn specialist teams?" So Samaritan's Purse doesn't have a history of, of responding to burn specifically, and so we had to pray. And we prayed, "God, would you please help us um, get one team together?" It was what we were we thought maybe maybe we get one team together and those teams include uh, like a, a anesthetist or an anesthesiologist surgeon nurse or two uh, and physical therapist and uh, the men all with well the surgeons and the nurses um, would need uh, burn experience um, those are special um, special skill sets and um, and so and then the anesthesiologists; those are few and far be between um, on on our team, and and likewise with the the physical therapists. We just haven't had um, a lot of need for those in the past, and so we don't have a lot on our roster. Um, and so we we thought maybe we can get one team together, and in the end, we were able to put together three teams, um, and God just provided uh, it to the point where we actually were turning surgeons away saying actually we we have enough right now and so it was incredible we we saw god god provide um beyond what we were expecting beyond what we thought we could um we could accomplish um so we're so grateful one of these burn surgeons who served in armenia he recalled how the phone call he received to deploy was a massive answer to prayer for him so um i have i have struggled um uh, professionally for the last uh, probably two years uh, as to what I want to do with the rest of my career. Uh, And uh, my prayer was that it would become abundantly clear to me uh, where God wanted me to be. Uh, And so I actually made the decision that I was going to uh, step down from my position as as, uh, the chief surgical officer at my hospital uh, so that I would be able to to spend more time with DART teams and, and Samaritan's Purse again. Uh, it was an hour and a half after I made that announcement to our hospital team that I received the email about the Armenian response. And uh, so being a burn surgeon, uh, this is what I do every day. Uh, and so uh, the answer to prayer if you, for me, if you will, was that that request 
uh, to go out with uh, the Samaritan's Purse Star Team was the confirmation from God that I had made the right decision. So uh, I have a plan for the rest of my career, uh, and I'm looking forward to serving. Hillary, who was the North American Ministries team lead in Maui, she witnessed a miracle when a homeowner's two-carat diamond ring was found. Uh, she expressed that on this day in particular, the team was growing weary. They were tired, but through prayer, they were able to persevere. When I walked up to the homeowner, explained who I was, um, she knew, you know, hey, you guys had helped me before, and, you know, I know there's other things I need to find, but, you know, I'm really in search of my grandmother's wedding ring. Mm-hmm. In 2020, her grandmother passed. And so this ring represented more than just it being now a beautiful two-carat diamond ring, but it was a ring that resembled and had ties to the grandmother. And so I said, okay, all right, we're, you know what? We're going to do this. You know, we've got to call on the strength of the Lord for this one. But we all huddled up, and before we work on any homeowner's house, you know, we introduce ourselves, but we start in prayer. And Susan specifically prayed, and in her prayer, she said, Lord, she's like, I'm just going to ask you just plain as day. Let us find this. Let Michelle, who was the resident, have peace and comfort. Now, if you looked at the place, she was on the second floor. And being on the second floor and having the whole building, you know, in ashes, that's a hard task by itself. So she said she had it in the ring in a pouch that was underneath her bathroom sink that was on the second floor. And she pointed near a pile of things she had already sifted before. She said, I don't know. It could have went through my hands at that time. So we started and a few minutes into it. Um, Alan is his name. Um, and his wife was the one that prayed. He said, you know what? something's just not pulling right. I just don't really feel like this is the direction we should be going. And so he stops and he asks the the resident, he said, Michelle, he said, where do you think that the pile could have been um, that where we should be searching? And she went back to, well, this was an area I had already been through, but I don't know. So in the beginning, when she went through, she was very emotional. So Alan changed direction and he said something, you know, the spirit just tugging at him to turn direction and to start sifting in this one area that she had already been through. So the next group of, you know, my team comes in and with five minutes, you hear a scream. And the scream wasn't from our volunteers. But the scream was from Michelle, the resident, because we had found her grandmother's two-carat diamond ring. And the joy that she just had, I mean, the whole team were wanting to jump. I mean, it was a big moment for her. And just the peace that came over her and the joy that restored into her that she was different from the person that was there in the beginning than was there afterwards. But it just took me back, and I had tears in my eyes. God is so good. He is so present, and He hears our prayers, big or small. 
I hope this encourages you to to pray, uh, pray more specifically, but also take time to reflect on the way the Lord answers your prayers. We often don't acknowledge His presence in our lives. And sometimes He gives us what we want, but sometimes He gives us what we need. And it's important to recognize and be thankful for what He does in our life. If you want to learn more about Samaritan's Purse work around the world, visit SamaritansPurse.org. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you.